Well, good morning once again, and welcome to you on this Mother's Day Sunday 2020. And I, I just want to add uh, my word of appreciation and blessing uh, to those of you who are moms. We appreciate you. We love you. And this is kind of a different Mother's Day, isn't it? And we can't do some of the things that uh, I know we're used to doing, perhaps, but I hope you're having a wonderful day if you're a mom. And again, we just, we're praying for you. And we thank God for you and your influence in our lives. And you know, I'm also aware that uh, for all the joy that Mother's Day brings, there, there's some sadness today, uh, maybe some pain today for some of you, maybe you know, this is the first Mother's Day that your mom is not with you. She's passed away and gone on to be with the Lord and, and you, don't, uh, you don't have that special person in your life. Maybe this is the first year you're dealing with that or maybe it's the 10th or 15th or 20th year you're dealing with that. You know, it, uh, you never stop missing your mom. Uh, and then maybe there's some moms here today who've, who've lost a child. And I know that makes today uh, difficult. For you. And I'm also aware that some of you may have grown up and not had the best of experiences with a mom. Maybe you've been abandoned by a mom, or maybe there are just some painful things in your past. Um, we recognize that as well today. So on this day when there's so much gratitude and joy and, and uh, so much of our hearts are focused on mom, we, we want you to know that we understand that that today can also bring some sadness, some pain. And, and we're praying for you, but we're delighted, whatever your circumstances are, that you're joining us here today. Thank you for doing that. So on this Mother's Day Sunday, we're returning to the book of James to wrap up a little uh, three-part series on waiting on God. So uh, before we do that, let me lead us in prayer together and let's ask God to bless this time. Heavenly Father, thank you for another opportunity to gather as your people. Even though we do it remotely, we're grateful for all those who gather around right now who are members of this church family and those who may not be members but, but who are joining us today. And we're grateful for this opportunity. Lord, as we handle your word today, I pray that we will handle it correctly, reverently. I pray that you will prepare our hearts now to receive your message for us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. And we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the most uh, hated and frustrating experiences in contemporary modern American life is waiting. We do not like to wait. Now, as we've said uh, many times uh, since we have been dealing with this coronavirus, we're, we may not be having to wait on some of the things we normally have to wait on, but we're all waiting, aren't we, on these days to pass so that we can get on and move on with life. But we understand the frustration that goes along with waiting. How many of you have ever let's say, rushed into the supermarket. You just had one item to pick up. You grabbed it. You made a beeline for the express checkout. And when you got there, there was somebody in front of you who was buying three months of groceries and they were in the wrong line. Man, we hate that. Or maybe, maybe you've been to Walmart and it's been especially crowded and you think you've found the fastest checkout lane because there's only one person in front of you and the... Uh, person at the cash register is about to ring up the very last item when suddenly you see her reach for the microphone 
and you hear the dreaded words, you know, um, well, someone in ladies' apparel, please, I need a price check on register three. And we go, oh my goodness, you know, and, and we hate it. We've waited in bank lines and we've waited in traffic jams on the interstate. Ruth always gives me a hard time when I'm waiting or trying to deal with a slow driver that's in front of me. We don't like to wait. But you know, nowhere is it harder to wait than when we're waiting on God. When there's a problem that we just can't solve, when there's a need that we just can't meet, when we need heaven to break through into our earthly circumstances and do something for us, when heaven is silent after we've gone to God and prayed about something, it makes it very hard for us to wait. Now for the past couple of weeks, we've been again in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. I want to read these, these uh, verses for us once again, just to, just to bring them back to our mind. And you can follow along there on your message guide. James writing says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James' message for us in these verses is really very, very simple, but it's a very hard thing for us to do. If we want to take these verses and boil them down and convince, con condense them and, and give a one simple sentence summary of what James is saying, three words, wait on God. Wait on God. But preacher, my need's so great. Wait on God. But it's so hard. Wait on God. But I've been waiting so long. Wait on God. But I don't know if I can hang on. Hang on and wait on God. But you know, Alan, I just I don't feel like waiting. You may not feel like waiting. But as we've said each week, the question is not, how do you feel? The question is, will you do what the Word of God says to do? And God's Word says, wait on God. Now, we started this little series a couple of weeks ago by looking at the time for waiting on God. And we ask a question. When I'm in a hurry and God isn't, how long do I have to wait on God? And James tells us here in verse 7 where he writes and he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Now again, that doesn't mean be patient until the second coming of the Lord. You know, just wait until Jesus comes back to earth again. That, that's not what he's saying here. What James is saying is, be patient, wait until the Lord comes through for you. Uh, 
wait for heaven to move. Don't get impatient and you try to move things. Wait on heaven to move. Wait until the Lord's coming. Wait until God comes through for you. Now, that's the time that's required for patience. You say, how much time is that? I don't know. You just wait until the Lord moves. You wait until He comes through for you. That's what James says. You keep praying about it. You keep looking for opportunities to do something if there's a way you can respond biblically. But wait until the Lord comes through for you. Now that's the time required for waiting or having patience. You wait until the Lord comes into your circumstances and you let Him do what only He can do. Now last week we began looking at the test of patience. In other words, the question here is, when I'm in a hurry and God isn't, why is it so hard for me to wait on God? What are the things that make it so hard to wait on God? And we said that there are two things, basically, that make it hard for us to wait on God. Difficult people, number one, and difficult circumstances. Now last week, we talk, talked about the difficult people, people who make life difficult. And we saw that in, in verse 9 where James writes and he says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James says, don't grumble. Now that word grumble instantly ought to help us understand that somebody is making somebody else's life Difficult. And James says when that happens, don't grumble. That word means to moan and groan, means to complain. It means to blame somebody else for your troubles. James says don't do that. Let God take care of the difficult people in your life. Don't you try to take care of them. Don't, don't try to retaliate. Don't, don't try to, to get revenge on those people who are making your life miserable. Don't lower yourself to their standards. Now again, if there's something you can do biblically, if you need to respond in a certain way to people, we looked at some verses last week that talked about that, then do it. But if you can't, and many times you can't, what does James say do? Wait on the Lord. He's the judge. He's standing at the door. He knows what those people are doing. He knows that they're making your life miserable. And I can promise you this, He can deal with those difficult people in your life far better than you can or I can if you'll wait on Him. Now, that was the lesson from last week. A lot more you can go back and listen to if you missed the message last week. But we want to look at the second thing this morning that makes it awfully hard to wait on God, and that is difficult circumstances. What should you do? What should I do as a Christian when we're dealing with difficult circumstances? Well, look with me at to what James says here, because sometimes we find ourselves uh, in situations and we can't say, well, it's this person's fault or it's that person's fault, or if this person would just change, then, then things would be better in my life. No, we, sometimes things just happen, or sometimes things just don't happen. You know, that opportunity doesn't come your way. That relationship doesn't develop. That thing comes into your life that you didn't ask for and you didn't want to come into your life. Well, what does James say? Well, his message is the same for difficult circumstances as it is with difficult people. He says, wait on God. Wait on God. Look at what he says here in verse 11. He says... Uh, Brothers and sisters, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance 
and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, James pulls another example out for us here. The example of Job. He says, you've heard of Job's perseverance. Listen, when it comes to dealing with difficult circumstances, Job has to be the greatest example of all. And James goes to Job to help us understand why it's important to wait on God when we're dealing with those difficult circumstances. Now, the word James uses here to describe Job's character and his attitude in the face of difficult circumstances is the word perseverance. Now, that word literally means to bear up under a tremendous load or under a tremendous pressure. That's what the word means. Now, if you, if you remember Job's story, and we need to make sure we understand it a little bit this morning, the story of Job really begins in heaven where Satan is accusing Job before God. You see, God has pointed to Job and He has, he has said, here is an example, a sterling example of someone who is righteous, of someone who obeys me and follows me. Here's an example of great godliness. And Satan looks at Job and he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something, God. I'll tell you why, why Job is obedient. I'll, I'll tell you why he's righteous. It's only because he's got everything going for him. You've made him rich. You've made him powerful. He's got a great job. He's got a great family. But here's the deal. You take away those props, God. You take away those things, and I'll tell you what will happen. You take those things away from Job, and he will turn his back on you. He will curse you to your face. And so God allows Satan to test Job. He, he allows Satan to take all those things away and in quick succession, bang, 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 Job is completely decimated. Now let's, let's look at some of, of Job's afflictions here. Several things happen. You can write these down. Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Job loses his wealth. I mean, like, like the crash of the greatest stock market in an instant. All that Job had was swept away from him. He went from tremendous wealth to abject poverty, from rags to riches. That would jolt anybody. But that wasn't all. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Here we see loss of Family. He not only loses his possessions, but, but he lost his, his family, his kids. So there was this tremendous pain that came into his life as he lost his family. And the troubles still weren't over. Job chapter 2, verse 7, we can read that Job was afflicted with some kind of ancient and loathsome kind of disease that caused him to break out in painful sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. So he lost his health. You see this? He lost his wealth. He lost his family. He lost his health. He had to deal not only with, with emotional pain, but physical trauma. And then, to add insult to injury, 
In chapter 2, verse 9, Job's wife comes to him and says these words, Job, are you still holding on to your integrity after all of this? You're still going to sit there and tell me that God loves you? <laughs> You'd be better off to kill yourself. You ought to commit suicide. If God loved you, you'd never be going through the kind of things you're going through. You ought to just curse God and die. So here he loses all respect, even from his wife. Loss of wealth, loss of family, loss of health, loss of respect. I mean, Job's the supreme example of, of a person who lost absolutely everything. He's dealing with incredibly difficult circumstances. All of his life has crumbled before him, but in the midst of it all, it's incredible when we look and see how Job handled these kinds of challenges. Look at his responses here quickly with me. Job chapter 1 verse 21. Job is going to say in all of these responses to these tragedies, to these difficult circumstances, I could moan, I could groan, I could grumble, I could complain. I could fall into despair, but instead I choose to wait on God. Look at what he says here, chapter 1, verse 21. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That was his response. He said, I don't understand, but I trust God. I will wait on Him. Job 19, verse 25. Familiar words. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. I don't know what's going on right now. I can't explain it all, but I know God's in control. I know that my Redeemer lives and that one day He'll make all this plain. And then, probably in the most incredible statement of all, James chapter 13, verse 15, Job says, Though He slay me, though God takes my life, yet I will hope in Him. You see, in spite of everything, Job was willing to wait on God. Now, that doesn't mean that he never questioned what happened to him. He passionately questioned what happened to him. You read this tremendous drama called Job's life, and you'll see that he passionately resented what had happened to him. He passionately questioned God. He passionately agonized over his circumstances. Few men have spoken with the kind of passion with which Job spoke. But the great fact about his life is that in spite of all of these circumstances and all of these questions that tore his heart, he never gave up on God. He waited on God. He waited for the coming of the Lord. He kept on looking for God to move. And when you get to the end of Job's story, that's exactly what happened. The Lord came into Job's circumstances. Heaven moved on Job's behalf on earth. You have to go to the very end of the book to see it. But in chapter 42, verse 10, we read that God made Job prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before, that God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first part of Job's life, gave him seven more sons, gave him three more daughters, and Job lived an additional 
140 years, and he saw his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren to the fourth generation. You see, just when Job thought his life was over, it began again. And when it began again, it was better than Job had experienced the first time. Listen to me, church. When the Lord comes through, when God moves, when God changes things, that that change can be absolutely astronomical. It can be more incredible than we can ever imagine. That's what we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, right? Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly more than we could ask or even think according to His power that is at work within us. But listen, my friend, it takes patience when you're in those difficult circumstances. It's hard to wait on God when heaven doesn't seem to be moving. But look again at verse 11 of James chapter 5 here. It says, You've heard of James' perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. It doesn't say what the Lord quickly brought about. It doesn't say what the Lord instantly brought about. It doesn't say what the Lord brought about exactly when Job wanted him to bring it about. No. It says this is what the Lord finally brought about in His time, in His way, to accomplish His purposes. So what can we learn from Job's example? Well, really we learned the same thing that we learned last week when we were talking about dealing with difficult people. Two things here. Number one, I can be in the will of God and still have to deal with difficult circumstances. I can still suffer because of difficult circumstances and even be in the will of God. In fact, sometimes if you're in the will of God, especially you're going to deal with difficult circumstances. There's a verse I didn't put in your message guide, but it's well worth writing down. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, and it says, If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but thank God that you bear Christ's name. You see, if you're committed to walking in the will of God, if you're committed to being a Christ follower, you're, you're just going to have to deal with some difficult circumstance. You're going to have to deal with persecution sometimes. You're going to have to deal with people who don't understand your standards. You're going to have to deal with losing some friendships. You might have to deal with not getting the promotion. There, there, there are all kinds of difficult circumstances that you might have to deal with because you're a believer, because you're committed to walking in obedience to the will of God. So you can still be in the will of God. I can still be in the will of God, especially if we're in the will of God, and still suffer because of difficult circumstances. But the second thing also, I can endure the hardships, the difficulties brought on by difficult circumstances. So these two things make it hard to wait on God, right? When I'm in a hurry and God isn't, difficult people and difficult circumstances make it hard to wait on God. But let's look at the final question here. We, we need to look at the triumph of patience. And the question here is, when I'm in a hurry and God isn't, why is it worth it 
to wait on God. Well, look at what James says here in the last part of verse 11. He says, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's what Job saw at the end of his difficult circumstances. He couldn't see it while he was going through those difficult things. But after God moved, he understood. My friend, when you're dealing with difficult circumstances or when you're dealing with difficult people, it may not seem like the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In fact, it may seem like He has no compassion. It may seem like even He has no mercy. It may seem like sometimes He doesn't care. But oh, listen to me, if you'll wait, if you'll be patient, if you'll wait until God comes through for you, you're going to see that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I hope that's a word of encouragement to you today, whatever you may be dealing with while you're waiting on God to come through for you. You remember what these great heroes of the faith discovered. That after it was all said and done, after they had waited patiently for the Lord to come through for them, they were able to see and experience and realize and proclaim this great truth. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He was that way for Job. He'll be that way for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful this morning for these promises from Your Word. And I'm especially thankful for what we read in James chapter 5, verse 8, which reminds us that if we're patient, if we stand firm, that the Lord's coming is near. He's not far away from us. He hasn't left us to struggle on our own with the difficult people and the difficult circumstances of life. And we thank You that we have a Redeemer who understands a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in all things, uh, although He was without sin. And so, Lord, I pray we'll take great hope and encouragement in that fact today as we wade through uh, the difficult circumstances and as we deal with the difficult people that we sometimes have to deal with in life. So, Lord, move with us now through the rest of this day as we celebrate Mother's Day, as, as we... Uh, Stop and give, give thanks, Lord, for all of the good things that You've brought into our lives. Uh, Lord, we pray that we'll live this day in the sure and certain knowledge and the hope that You walk with us moment by moment, day by day, through all of life. And we thank You for that. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.